Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join Messiah's Upper Room Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Adi. This week, we continue our series over the Gospel of John. Enjoy. Very good. All right, we're uh, get, uh, getting into our study again now today. We're still in John 7. And to sort of set the context again, remember the the Feast of Tabernacles is one of the major feasts in Judaism, and uh, it's required for all the men to show up at this, at this uh, feast in Jerusalem. And so that's the context of this, that, that what's happening is, is Jesus now is starting to really define what his ministry is about as well as what his ministry isn't about. And the reason why he's having to do that is because people are starting to flock toward him. He's becoming very popular. He's becoming very well known. And when that happens, sometimes people join themselves to him and start to try to say to him, here's what we think your messiahship should be about. So we remember, for example, that, and Pastor Coleman alluded to this in the sermon this morning, that the Jewish leaders of the day felt that their idea of the Messiah was that what he was to be all about was to be the one who would follow God's law perfectly as they defined it. And, and so then Jesus was articulating to them that, yes, I'm here to follow God's law, but it's God's law that I'm following. It's not going to be the human version of God's law. You know, this is how it is, is that when people, when human beings get a hold of the Bible, what do we do with it? We mess it all up because we add a whole bunch of extra stuff to it that was never intended to be part of that. And that was part of the difficulty in Judaism is that so many of the, the laws regarding diet and, and worship and the Sabbath and, and what was work and what wasn't work and all those kinds of things is that they complicated it way more than it needed to be. So Jesus comes on the scene and they're thinking, okay, he, the kind of Messiah that he is, is that he's going to be the one who's going to follow the law, all of the human laws that went with that. Well, then when Jesus uh, uh, fed the 5,000, then there were a whole bunch of people that joined themselves to him as well and said, oh, here's the kind of Messiah we want. And you're it. You're going to be the Messiah that's going to provide for all of our earthly needs all of the social justice needs, all of the society's needs, you're going to be the one to do that. And so Jesus then, he said, well, I'm going to provide your needs, but it's not going to be all the physical needs. It's not going to be all society's needs. I'm not here to change the uh, society's uh, uh, mores or anything like that. I'm here to offer the bread from heaven. And the bread from heaven had to do with eternal life. Well, then Jesus's family starts to get involved in, oh, they're very excited about how popular Jesus is and the fact that he has all these people that are gathering around him. And then what starts to happen is that Jesus decides that he's not going to go as public as they would like for him to. And that's the immediate context of our, of our text for this morning, the reading for this morning where it picks up, is that his family went to him and said, 
You know, we have this big event going on in Jerusalem, this Feast of the Tabernacles, the Feast of the Harvest is what this was about. And so we're going to have all these people there, and Jesus, this would be the perfect time for you to go public. This would be the perfect time for you to show up and really do your stuff, sort of strut your stuff, if you will, in front of everybody there in Jerusalem. And that way we don't have to worry about what's happening with the group of disciples that you're attracting. Because one of the things that was occurring was that people were starting, it was starting to occur to people that Jesus was not the kind of Messiah they wanted him to be. And so people are starting to drift away. His numbers are trending downward, as they say today, right? And so then the family said, no, if you go to Jerusalem and do in public what you've been doing basically in these little hick towns, that would be perfect because you're really going to have a lot of people attracted to you. So Jesus says, you guys go on up to the feast. I'm going to stay here. Okay, and that's where we pick it up here with verse 10. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man, others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for the fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. So one of the things that John does here in this little section, is he distinguishes between the Jewish leaders and the people who were seeking to um, undo Jesus' ministry from those who were maybe among the common folk. So when he says the Jews were looking for him, and then in verse 13, yet for fear of the Jews, so that we understand who he's talking about there, is the, would be the religious leaders. Uh, most notably would have been the Sanhedrin, which we know was the, uh, was the uh, Jewish ruling council. But again, notice that Jesus does go. Initially, he said, I'm not going to the feast. You guys go. And yet, because this was a feast that all Jewish males were required to attend, you know, we knew that probably inevitably Jesus would go. But notice what it says. He went up not publicly, but what? In private. So you sort of get the sense that he sort of slipped into town, kind of in, uh, maybe through the back door sort of idea. Okay? So then what happens, we pick it up in verse 14. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went into the temple, went up into the temple, and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man is learning, has learning, when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood." You sort of get a little sense here of the academic elitism that is showing up here in the story. Do you get a little sense of that? What they begin to notice is that Jesus really knows his stuff. You know, I guess if you go up against the Son of God, that would be pretty, uh, pretty intimidating in some sense of that. But you get a little sense of the disparaging attitude that they have toward Jesus. 
In the Greek where it says, how is it that this man has learning? What it really is, is how, how is it that this fellow, this fellow. So clearly they saw themselves as the academic elite and they saw Jesus as somebody who was just this carpenter's kid that kind of came along from Nazareth, from Galilee, from Bethlehem. How in the world could anything, uh, anything ever come of that? So see, they're amazed by that because he doesn't have any credentials. He didn't bring with him his, uh, his certificates and, and all the things that would have come out of, out of learning in a rabbinic uh, school. One of the things that uh, I was surprised, I think, to discover is that there's actually in, in uh, uh, mostly you'll see it in four-year higher education, is there is a kind of an academic hierarchy, if you will, where everybody has somebody that they can look down on. It's really quite amazing. It's, it's so, and it's not, wouldn't, wouldn't it be limited to institutions of higher, higher learning because you're going to see that in almost every walk of life. But it's, it's always interesting to me how it's almost in some sense what Pastor Coleman talked about in the sermon today of who's in the club. So if you have a certain degree level, like a PhD, then you're clearly above those that would have an EDD. So an educational doctorate is not quite the same as a PhD. I don't know, is MD above PhD? Uh, Max, do you think? Is it the same? Where do, you, where do dentists fit into that? Uh, they're right up there too. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah, I was just wondering. I wasn't sure about that. So dental and medical is, well, I know on our tax forms, med medical and dental are on the same line item. I know that. Yeah, and so then you have, uh, so you have PhD, and then you have the ED, and then I think there's actually D-Men, which is a doctor of ministry, but the only guys that ever get that are pastors, so we know what that means. So, um, and then underneath that somewhere is an M, a master's and those kinds of things. And so what's, what's so interesting about that to me is the lengths that, each, that we all go to, to try to find some way to feel good about ourselves at the expense of somebody else. Isn't that amazing? And that's what we kind of see here. Oh, did I skip nurses? I don't know yes. where, okay, sorry. Yeah, now I'm in really big trouble there. No kidding. Do you know what uh, PhD means? I've heard. Higher and deeper. <laughs> Thank you for that insight. Did you hear what she said? PhD stands for piled higher and deeper. So, so yeah, so let's just not go there, okay? We'll just stay. I, you know, in fact, I was fearful that even bringing it up would cause us to go there as well. All right, so, so we get this sort of, they're kind of put off, right? They're put off by Jesus because, and yet at the same time, what is it that's happening? Jesus is outdoing them. They are stunned. Now, they, to some degree, we shouldn't be surprised by that because we go back to when Jesus was 12, what was going on when Jesus was 12. Remember, the, the, they all went to, the, to Jerusalem and, and, here, and here then they all are gathering for the big feast and then everybody goes home and then they're looking for Jesus and where is he? He's in the temple. And then when they find him they go, and they see what's happening is he is there asking them a lot of questions that they are blown away 
by the, the depth of his understanding, the depth of his, of his knowledge. So that would not have been a surprise, but nonetheless, we're seeing that here. So then notice how Jesus responds. He says, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Who is that that he's talking about? Yeah, God, his father. So he, he's articulating already that he is here as the Messiah who, whose job it is or whose call it is, is to teach that which is about his father, not himself. And so then he says, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. How would someone have known if what Jesus is teaching is from God or on his own authority? See, one of the dilemmas of the day, and we would even sort of say even a dilemma of today, is when someone is purporting to be a preacher or teacher of the gospel. How do you know if that's really the case? How do you know if that person is truly representing or truly preaching the true word or the true gospel or the true law, as opposed to just simply in inserting his own or her own philosophy into it and then claiming to be of the will of God? Yeah, Keith. I think Paul best said this is when he was preaching to the church, other churches trying to bring Jews on, he says, you are been listening to this, all the Old Testament, all this is fulfilled. You've heard this before. Go back. It's all been fulfilled out of the Testament. You already know. But they still wouldn't listen to it. So are you saying that by checking the preacher or the teacher out according to the Scripture, that that's one of the ways that you would be able to tell? If his teaching, what Jesus was teaching, was all fulfilled in the Old Testament. So yeah. It all, it all matched, it all had relevance all the way through. Yeah. So if it was on its own authority, it probably wouldn't have had that. That's true. And the other part of it is we have to remember is that the reason Jesus came to suffer and die and rise again hadn't happened yet. Have you ever had this happen where after the thing happens, you go, oh, now I see. Yeah, have you ever had that? But, but when, when you're on the front end of it, it's really hard to see how it all goes together, right? It's kind of like when you read a mystery book or when you watch a mystery movie, you don't get it until the end, right? Yeah. Now, some people, when they get a mystery book, they, they look to the back first. <laughs> some people do that. And then they can eat more easily and with less anxiety read the rest of first of it, and then that, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands as to who does that, because that would be highly embarrassing for me to admit that I do that. So anyway, I can only handle so much personal confession when I'm in front of you here. All right, All right but notice, notice what, what Jesus does, is he gives us a little clue as to how you might be able to discern that, this idea of somebody speaking on God's authority versus somebody speaking on his own authority. Okay, notice what he says in verse 18. He says, the one who speaks on his own authority does what? He seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him, that's God who sent him, is true, and in him there is no falsehood. So I got to thinking... In what way might it, that be manifested? 
the idea of seeking one's own glory. And, and sometimes I think it can take a form that we're not necessarily thinking would even be that. So let's, I'll try these out on you. If you look at the bottom of the page there on page 74. That one's own glory can do what? It can take the form of seeking financial gain by twisting the scriptures into a blueprint of becoming wealthy or playing on people's emotions to enrich oneself. So in other words, it's taking the Bible and turning it into something that it never was intended to be, right? That, oh, here's how you can get rich. Here's how you can enrich yourself at the expense of other people who believe you to be the next uh, you know, guy that can provide all the answers for people's prayers. And, and we certainly see a lot of that today. Yeah, Marv. Well, we've seen that in the past many times with TV evangelists. TV evangelists. And it's not necessarily in the past. I mean, there's still, there's still lots of that that goes on. And this, kind of the sad thing about it is that there are people that cannot afford to give money to that. And in fact, they just they give it in droves again, hoping that this will be the, either the answer for their poverty or they will somehow curry favor with God so that then God will look upon them and bless them in a financial way. Another way of seeking one's own glory can take the form of seeking to look good in everyone's eyes to increase popularity or perhaps to stay employed. Uh, This sometimes happens in pastor world by telling the congregation only what they want to hear as opposed to speaking the truth. You know, it is hazardous to call people to repentance. It's hazardous to do that. Why? What is it about calling people to repentance that would be risky? They have to face their sins. Yeah, I mean, what is it, when you call somebody to repentance, what is it that you're saying about their lifestyle, their choices, their decisions, their their thinking, their uh, doing, all that kind of stuff. What is it that you're, what are you saying about it? If it's legit. I mean, obviously you could make up stuff, but we're not talking about that. What, what, what's the hazard there? Yeah, because who likes to hear that? <laughs> Anybody here like to hear that about themselves? No. And yet we need to hear it, Right. Because if I don't hear it, then I am still stuck in my sin. I'm stuck in the yuck of my sin. And if I don't know it, that's not enough to save me. Ignorance will not save us. So somehow, somebody has to inform us. Somehow, somebody has to let us know that. And that's part of the difficulty of that. Think of the stories of the Old Testament prophets. How many of them had a super joyful, positive, wonderful <laughs> kind of life that everybody would say, I want to be like that guy. I want to do what he does for a living, right? No, they get stoned and run out of town and made fun of and all those kinds of things. And yet, what is the very end of the Beatitudes today, the uh, gospel reading today? I know you all paid attention. So what is it that it said at the very end? Blessed are you when you're persecuted and spoken of poorly and reviled falsely on my account. Blessed are you because you're just like the prophets of the Old Testament. And then what does he say about the prophets of the Old Testament whose life was like so crummy because of all this? Their reward is in heaven. 
Are you so glad? Sometimes we forget that, don't we? We go, why can't life right now be fair, right? Why can't people right now be nice to me? Why can't I get what I need right now? I don't want to wait till I get to heaven. I know, you all think that. You just never would admit it. Yeah. <laughs> Doris. When my dad was in the ministry, his model used to be, and don't get, when everyone in the church likes me, I won't be doing my job. <laughs> Did you hear what she said? Her dad was a pastor, and he used to say, when everybody in the church likes me, I'm not doing my job. Yikes. <laughs> now, some of that's old school, right? Some of that's old school. Is there truth to it? Yes. There's truth to that. So I'm preaching on February 16th, so I want you to rem be reminded of that, okay? Yeah. May. And there are two schools of thought on that very uh, thing yeah. in terms of working with people. What I would like to interject is that judge not that you be not judged. And if there is someone who has something going on that is not um, kosher or it needs to be changed, sometimes there's merit in forming a relationship. Sometimes there's merit in being able to have conversations with people with, uh, opposed to saying, you need to change that. That's not right. You're not living a, a good and right life. What makes you or me the one to, to be judgmental about that? Now, we can think about that, but in reality, as you mentioned, some people might not appreciate that. It might make them go the opposite way. So you have to analyze what's going to work best for this situation, to be direct or realize that if you're not doing something you're not you know you what is it they say you have to be doing something and that means 50 percent of the people will not like you mm -hmm. i'm looking at all the husbands in here in the room and <laughs> kind of wondering you know because when a husband gets married you know he's on a self-improvement pro uh, process <laughs> Oh, it's not self-improvement anymore, is it, John? No, it's, but, it, but definitely improvement. Yeah, definitely improvement. Well, how many of you would either describe yourself this way or you've had other people accuse you of this, that you are blunt? <laughs> yeah, I see some of you are raising your hand and pointing at the other person sitting next to you. Okay, so, so what's the hard thing about if you're a blunt person, direct, well, all the different words we would use for that. Okay. What's the hard thing for a blunt person who's calling somebody to repentance or just get their act together? What's the challenge of that for a blunt person? They Is, better be pretty, pretty, you better be sure of yourself. Yeah, because What's likely to happen is the first time that blunt person steps out of line, boy, oh boy, yeah. that's right, that's right. Now, you know, if, if the blunt person has been talking to somebody who's not so blunt, then likely what is to happen is the not so blunt person is just keeping score, <laughs> right? That's probably what's going to happen, yes. Help. If you're going to advise someone or be blunt with someone, so to speak, you better have the experience, I think, before you start giving that. You better have experience with, like, you're what you're talking about. Yes, that's correct. That's right. Yes, thank you for that. That's very good. I feel better. That. Thank you. 
All right, so, so again, and so again, this is kind of, I mentioned that the struggle sometimes that exists in pastor world, because sometimes when a church is going uh, down the wrong path, or going astray, at least in terms of its theology, or in terms of the way that the church has done something for a hundred years, and then a pastor comes in and says, thus saith the Lord. You know, you, there, there is a certain amount of, of, uh, of what would the word be where you have to kind of not necessarily just jump right in and get in people's face and say, you know, this is a, you guys are not doing it the Lutheran way, or you're not doing the Christian way, or whatever it is. So there is a little bit of a sense of how you get to that place where you can say stuff and then people will actually hear you. But there's very many cases, and, and maybe it happened in the past, but, but I uh, know personally of situations in the present where a, a guy has come in and done that, and, and he wasn't there very long. So there is a little bit of reading the landscape in terms of how you do that uh, and, and some sense of, of doing that in a smooth way. But at some point, you might have to say, this is what God's Word says, and this is what we're doing, and we've got to figure out a way to get back on track. That's what happened in the Old Testament, and some of those guys were run out of town in, short, in very short order. And as we'll see in Jesus' ministry, eventually that happened. Okay? Eventually. But already, they're, they're already the Jewish authorities are already seeking to kill him. And that was, that was not a, a, a secret, okay? Uh, the third one, let's see, seeking to avoid being rejected and told to leave or resign. Again, that's kind of a, kind of again, kind of goes along with the uh, third one. And then the fourth one is another form of seeking one's own glory, is seeking to look good in the eyes of the peer group, even if what is being promoted is bad for the health of the church or the health of the uh, of the, of the believers. That was in some sense what was going on in, in Jesus' day because the peer group was the, re, the, the rest of the Jewish leaders. So they all bought into this idea that somehow the, that what the Messiah ought to be about is somebody who's going to follow the law. So notice what Jesus says to kind of go back to that. He says, the, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him See, it's the difference between seeking your own glory and your own survival and your own popularity and your own ability to, to last a long time in the job, so to speak, as opposed to seeking the glory of him who sent him. It, then he uses the word true. So discerning scriptural truth from error, notice, is the work of the listener, Keeping the preacher or the teacher true. So a question that I have is how might listeners today become skilled in discernment? You know, one of the things that is the great lament uh, of people today, uh, mainly and primarily our generation, is that we're looking at the generations yet to come and we're concerned that is, is discernment apparent? You know, in other words, how people uh, uh, look at what they, the decisions they make, or how do people discern truth from error? How do people uh, discern what to believe in and what not to believe in? Yeah, Carl. Well, we, we were, many years ago, we were 
we have a, uh, we were going to a church up in uh, Colorado. Uh huh. And one day the pastor was there, and we noticed him changing. He was getting pretty liberal. You noticed him changing? changing? Just the way. I mean, over over time. Oh, over time. Okay. He was getting more and more liberal. More with, liberal. With okay. Yeah. And and, and 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 kind of going going on the edges of scripture. Mm hmm. And we were sitting there, at, at, and the, his uh, invitation for communion was. Anyone who is here, regardless of what you believe, is welcome to the table. Okay. Uh, and Nancy and I looked at each other and said goodbye. We walked out. Oh, you did? Wow. Uh, I mean, that's not scriptural. Okay. So that made it, that was a pretty uncomfortable moment for you then, yeah. And, and mm -hmm. turned out it was, they, they'd, they'd gone over to ELCA about that time, and, and we found the Missouri church. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So sometimes the theology of a church body is articulated by the theology of the pastor, and then you start to see some things that are not consistent with what have been, maybe for many, 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 many years, the, the way that you have learned it to be. Okay? It turned out about three years later, or two years later, he was slowly but surely driven out. Yeah, so even that his sense of liberalism was becoming too liberal even for that congregation. So sometimes that happens as well. So to think about from that perspective, all right, if the listener, and I don't, maybe I'm off here, but I'm, I'm, I think I'm on point here, is that if it is the listener's task to be the one who would be able to discern God's truth from error, how do you know if that's the case or not? How are you able to do that? To some degree, you trust that when your pastors get up and preach and teach, I'm teaching, you know, Pastor Coleman's doing that thing too, What we all do it. How do you know or how do you discern if it's truth from error? Yeah, Mary Jo. You need to know the Word yourself. Be in the Word and, and be knowledgeable. Yeah, so one of the concerns for today is is that the less and less that people are in the Word, even exposed to the Word, even knowing even anything in the Word, then how can you discern truth from error if you're not even familiar with what it is that the preacher is supposedly talking about, much less what, what the angle that he takes on it? Because it isn't just, I mean, we do that in here. It's not just the Word itself. It is the Word. But it's also the angle that you take on the Word and how far... Can you go with that before you start to erode the word itself? Yeah, Fred. Talking about people not knowing the scriptures, it reminds me of going back before Luther's time where people didn't know the scriptures because there was no written scripture. Yeah, that's right. Or that the version that people had was, or that somebody had, was in Latin, and, and only the clergy knew Latin. So then the people became dependent on the the people that knew Latin to be able to speak the word and then and but if you don't know the language you don't even know if that's the right word and then the angle that they would take on it people did not know yeah what about what we hear I don't know how much this goes on but people that are discouraged from reading scripture in certain churches okay that they were not allowed or supposedly not allowed that the leaders and so forth okay tell them what to do yes so in some churches, people are discouraged from reading the scriptures. Yeah. So you couldn't check on. So again, you wouldn't be able. To, how do you know? See, you're kind of dependent on the uh, 
the learnedness, if you will, of the preacher and the teacher. But again, as the listener, you sort of would end up taking their word for it. So in some, some of the religions, uh, what comes to mind, for example, is Jehovah's Witness, where the version of the scripture that they're given, which is the New World Translation, is not a translation. There are some aspects of it that are translated from the original Greek and Hebrew, but in other cases, to fit their theology, they've made slight little revisions in that. Got a couple people going like this, yeah. Her dad's an elder in Jehovah's Okay. Oh, absolutely. And so again, if, if what is discouraged would be reading the original and take, take our word for it, this is the original, all right, sort of idea, well, then you're sort of being led astray and you don't know it, okay? Uh, so that would be a, an example of that. Yes, ma'am. Sometimes like Jonestown and Waco, how, how do all these people get so... Cults of different kinds. So in. That's right, yeah. Now, again, sometimes what happens in some of those situations is that the person who's the leader is a very charismatic leader, a very sort of draws people to himself, and they connect relationally, and then gradually what happens is there's just enough truth in what is being pre preached or taught to make you think that everything is truth, right? Instead of just the part that's true and the part that's not. So there's a couple of things here that I suggested um, in terms of how listeners today can become more skilled in discernment, and, and, and this is no surprise to anybody. But the starting point needs to be that the, the, pre, the one doing the preaching, the one doing the teaching, believes that the Bible is the Word of God. That is not a given today. There probably was a time when that was, when there was a minority of people that, that didn't believe that. But now, today, in theological circles and in very much in, uh, in uh, uh, university circles, there is not that belief. Okay? Now, again, fortunately, Missouri Senate is one who has held to this, that the, uh, the Bible is the Word of God versus the idea that the Bible contains the Word of God. And we talked about this at, in different points of the difference between the two. But you can see where if the preacher and the teacher doesn't even believe that to begin with, that the Bible is the Word of God, then already the foundation has a big crack in it. There's already a problem in the foundation, and then it's only a matter of time that you begin to take liberties with, uh, with the Word itself. Okay, another one is by increasing biblical literacy, by regular study of and also reading the Bible. This is important to do because, again, the more that you immerse yourself in it, it's not simply only that you're learning the stories and you know the verses and all those kinds of things, but you're also accessing the power that is available in the Word itself. So see, if I erode the Word, then what does that do to the power itself? It also corrupts that power. Here's the third one, teaching your children and grandchildren Bible stories, including referencing their life examples. You'd be surprised how many children today make it to confirmation and they don't know who the biblical uh, figures are. And this is for sure true in families where 
they didn't grow up with a kid's Bible, or they didn't grow up with Sunday school, or they didn't grow up with all those kinds of things. And again, kind of one of the sad things is that a lot of people in our age group, now when I say our, I'm talking about everybody who's just as old as me. Okay, yeah. But mostly baby boomers in the baby boomer era, okay? In the baby boomer era, a lot of baby boomers said, I, I don't want to have anything to do with organized religion because when I was a kid, I was dragged to church constantly, and, and all I had was a bunch of rules. And so when, my, when I get to be an adult and when I have my own kids, then I'm going to let them choose. And so the freedom to choose became the really important thing. Well, that kind of meant that a, lot of, a whole generation of kids grew up not knowing who Noah was. We're getting confused between who Abraham and, you know, Ezekiel was. I mean, some of those are hard because they're minor prophets and maybe we don't know all the minor prophets, okay? But we ought to know the basic stories. And it's amazing. Pastor Coleman and, and Pastor Wilmer and I have talked about this, that even in our preaching, we can't assume that when you make a reference to a biblical figure that everybody in the congregation even knows what the heck you're talking about. Now, again, among people that have been churchgoers their whole life or Sunday school or something like that, there's this acknowledgement, okay? But it's kind of a sad moment when you're, you know, you reference uh, somebody in the Bible and you get this blank look and you have to take extra minutes to explain to the person who that is. That's kind of a shocking thing, you know? Yeah. Sure. I on the radio before Christmas, this guy went out on the street and was asking, I don't know if he was in New York City where he was, but asking people on the street questions about Jesus. Yeah. They didn't know, I mean, they didn't, like, where was he born? They didn't know. They didn't know what country he was in. They didn't know about the what. I mean, right. it was shocking. It is shocking, that, isn't it? Especially yes. about Jesus that they couldn't That's answer right. a lot of these questions. That's right. Yeah. So there are some things I think that a lot of us, grew up with the assumption that everybody knows who that is, you know, and I've been on the soapbox a few times, of when you start assuming that everybody knows, then what happens? You stop teaching it. So you stop talking about it, you say, oh, everybody knows that already, I don't need to explain that. And you can have a whole generation of people that you did that with, and guess what? The next generation says, we don't know who that is. So, so we're constantly needing to remember to do that. Point D, respectfully challenging teachers and preachers as to their approach in what's called exegesis, all right? So what exegesis means is that you draw the teaching out of the Scripture as opposed to eisegesis, which is you impose non-scriptural teaching into the Scripture. Do you see that difference? That's what's going on a lot of today, is that people are taking their own agenda and they, they impose it on the Scripture and then find Bible passages that sort of sound like they might uh, uh, approve of it or they might uh, support it, and then they say, here's what the Bible says. It isn't what the Bible says, okay? But that's the difference between the two. So what would be a way to respectfully challenge teachers and preachers as to their approach? What would be a way to do that? So let's pretend that you feel like there's some angle that I'm taking which is a little bit off or it doesn't quite jive or maybe the angle that I took was too radical around it. Okay, what would be a respectful way to challenge that, Max? 
Send an email. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But make sure your name is on it, okay? Don't, Don't use somebody else's email address and then send it to me, okay? Because then we can do what? then we can engage about it. And I'm, great. I'm thankful to say that there are some among us here today who do that. And I like that, okay? I mean, well, eventually I like that, okay? <laughs> yeah, sometimes I don't like that. But, but, I, but that's okay. That, that's part of, the, it's part of the engagement. It's part of the, the challenge there, okay? What else? Come early and write on the board before you get here. Come early and write on the board. <laughs> Well, okay, as long as you sign it. Yeah, it, there's nothing worse than having to deal with uh, anonymous, right? So if you're gonna if you're gonna object to something, okay, that's great, but put your name up on there, and then we'll have a talk. Okay, we'll be able to do that. Now, I would prefer if we're talking about me, I would prefer a heads up that there is something on the board before I walk in. Because as I've talked about before, when I get blindsided, I go blank. And then my life passes before my eyes as I'm standing up here thinking, now what do I do? Now what do I do? Okay, so if you a little heads up. Okay, little heads up. By the way, I am taking note of what you all say. Yeah, Kathy. Well, I, I kind of reading ahead, but uh, I had seen it earlier. My mother had a saying, uh, do as I, uh, be careful of those who say, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. I think as a preacher or teacher, you have to walk a higher line. You have to make sure your witness, because if I don't believe your witness, I'm not going to believe what you're teaching. So it's yeah. a greater responsibility. And that's the hardest thing. It, the hardest thing is to live up to what you preach. Because if you don't, then the thing is, I'm going to just feel like, well, he's not doing it. I know. I know, yeah. You, you sort of have to check your, your public decision-making, like what you're going to say and do publicly. I do anyway. I, I really have to check it before I, um, before I say it, before I put it out there. And, and so that's the hard thing, is sometimes you know what is the right thing to say, and then you can remember all the times you didn't do it. And so like you're this giant hypocrite while you're doing it, but you still have to say it. And then that just means you have to have a way to deal with when you get the blowback, right? Well, you have to acknowledge it yourself. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think you have to be blunt about yourself. Yes, I'm not very blunt anyway, so (laughs) for sure with myself. But yeah, Carl. Being one of the blunt ones. Yes, Carl, thank you. (laughs) Uh, I've had some experiences where, not with you, Oh, thank you, Carl. That was excellent. I can, I can hear you now. Yeah, go ahead. Where, where I've uh, had the opportunity to take it one-on-one with the individual yeah. that has said something yeah. like that. And, yeah. and basically just said, hey, during such and such, you said the following, and, right. and I kind of see it this way. What, let's discuss that. Yeah. And be open to the possibility that what was said isn't what you heard, or what you heard and then interpreted wasn't what was meant. So again, that's part of that is the, the willingness to sit down one-on-one with somebody to do that and then have that, that openness. Be- I reserve yeah. the right to say you're wrong. <laughs> so Carl, Carl, if you will give me an email ahead of time on that, and then preferably a month ahead, if you would, okay? So I can really think about 
what I think about that. So, yeah. Oh, thank you. Yes. Yeah. I think we can ask questions. Oh, ask questions. Yeah. You know, if, if you say something that I don't quite see it that way or whatever, right. I can ask a question to yeah. kind of clarify your point. Yeah. I, I know from, as an English teacher, you know, one of the things that I do when I write copy verses out of the Bible, yeah. I replace the pronouns with the noun that was being referred to. It makes it clearer for me. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. but when I was a kid, you know, you got drummed in me. That's what the Bible says. Oh, yeah. Change it. Yeah, you can't change a letter or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you can't change anything. Yeah, I know like, it. No, I got to, or I won't understand it. Yeah, I, it, when the reference is made to God or Jesus, I capitalize that, the he or whatever it is. Um, you know, a good example of that was the epistle reading today. Did anybody remember the epistle reading today? No, forget it. Okay. Uh, well, it was from Hebrews. It was a, it was a very complex reading from Hebrews. And it was a weird thing for me as I was reading it, that part of my brain was saying, you know, you probably should have introduced to everybody ahead of time what this was talking about because, because it was a complex thing. The basic gist of it was that Jesus went through our temptations and our struggles so that then he could be there for us and understand what we went through. Now, see, I said it a whole lot better and easier than the guy from Hebrews did. But, but still, it's just that... It, it's, it's just that when, when those readings sometimes come in the middle of something, that some stuff has already come ahead of time that people can say, oh yeah, now I know what you're talking about. But that one didn't, and it would have been a whole lot better if they put he in there where it was talking about God or Jesus. So I try to do that in your reading here, when we do it here, because there is the use of he and him, and who's the him and who's the he, and, and sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. Yeah. I would like to travel back to what we were talking about, Oh, oh, you're still kind of on that, uh, the blunt. But I think in either case, that situation or what we're talking about now yeah. is to practice the golden rule. And, and when you're trying to accomplish a goal with someone or a group of people, it's good to know. It's good to know the audience or yeah. the person. Sure. Because that way you know the best way to proceed mm-hmm. to achieve your goal. Yes. And if you treat others the way you like to be treated, like don't put a big note out here and announce it to everyone before I even know about it yeah. or have time to think about it. Yes. So, so that's what I would suggest that we consider. I feel better. I feel so, I feel so validated today. That's so awesome. Yeah, that, but, but there is something to be said for that, that if, you know, some preachers and some teachers are very sensitive people, okay? So if that's the case, it would be helpful to know that ahead of time and then to uh, adapt your approach to that listener, okay? So that's okay to think of it that way, all right? So how many of you think that I'm blunt? Okay, see? <laughs> See, none of you does, and you're correct. I'm not. I'm not. That's, I mean, if anything, your interactions with me here would... I, I can't think of that many times in our class when one of you has said something so heretical that it has to be addressed, and then I have said to you, you are just plain wrong. I can't... Can you think of any time when I've done that? See, so that tells you a lot about 
the way that I do it, right? But not everybody is that way. Okay, Marty, did you have your hand up before? Tagging on to the numerous conversations and back to originally knowing the word. Yeah. When you think someone's gone astray, is to be able to cross-reference back in scriptures, to be able to have that open discussion with that person and say, well, based on what I'm seeing over here and here and here, doesn't quite line up with yeah. And so again, that would have to do with how. How much time do you spend in the Word? And, and probably you could sort of say that that is not on everybody's top ten list of what they, how they want to spend their day or how they want to spend their time. Yeah, Glenn. My dad always taught us that every time you point your finger at someone and say, you, 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 yeah. you've got three fingers pointing right back at you, and that's probably three times more applicable sure. to you than it is. Exactly. No. When I preach, I always do like this. This is how I do. Because I'm not about to do exactly what he said there. That's right. Yeah, Mike. So letting you in on a few little trade secrets here. That's right. Yeah, Gabriel. Which, by the way, good to see you. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. I I just wanted to uh, point out here that uh, even though this is more directed at the, the, the ministers, the preachers. Yeah. Uh, we are all preaching. Uh, yes. You know, Amen, Amen brother. That's the truth. Okay, so, uh, you know, the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God mm-hmm. and everything else. So if anybody is seeking his glory, you're not seeking the kingdom of God. Yeah. You are seeking earthly things. You know, that's right. Kind of things. And that's what People that see you see in you. Yeah. You know, you're always looking for, oh, you seen the new iPhone. You see, you know, this and that. Oh, I'm going to pray that I get that. Yeah. And, and if you're seeking the kingdom of God, people are going to see spiritual things. Great point. You know, Great point. That's what you're preaching. Yeah. So at the end of the day, when uh, you have to correct uh, a message that you see the preacher is not preaching right, doesn't have to be a minister. Even a regular Christian, you can say, brother, you know you're uh, a Christian. Yeah. But, but I see you this a bit. And you say in a most uh, comfortable, uh, diplomatic way you can do it. And, and you know, that's not that good. Yeah. Thank you. Excellent point. Excellent point. I think one of the hard things for today is that when you do sit down with someone and you do say, here's what God's Word says, etc., is that people say, well, that's your interpretation. Or they just simply discount that there is even such a thing as absolute truth. And see, once people go there in the argument, that ends the argument. That ends the conversation. Because you can't, if, if, if I say the Bible is the Word of God and it's God's truth, and you say, well, the Bible might be God's Word, but there might be other things that are God's Word, and besides that, we don't believe in absolute truth, that we don't have a conversation anymore. There's not... There's not enough common there for us to be able to talk about it. And I think that's part of the dilemmas today is, is in terms of that. Okay? And so then the last one is holding the preacher or the teacher to a high standard of integrity. Again, high standard is not perfection. 
If you're looking for perfection, you're not going to find that. But that's true for all of us. And Gabriel pointed that out, that we all are preachers and teachers in that sense, that, that we all get to uh, uh, walk the walk as well as, nice move, uh, walk the walk as well as uh, talk the talk. And again, uh, we'll stop here. But, you know, again, Jesus points this out to the scribes and the Pharisees in the very next verse. Has, Moses, has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps it? Oh, gee, that's pretty blunt right there. You know, and then he says, why do you seek to kill me? Hello? I mean, you know, that's pretty obvious why they wanted to kill him. All right, but see, that's that, that idea. Jesus went after him in Matthew 23. If you ever want to look at a, a totally direct and blunt way of getting your point across. You know, and Jesus did it both ways. There were times when he was subtle, and there's times when he was very diplomatic, and there's other times when he just absolutely, he went after it in a very direct way. Matthew 23, that whole chapter, is, is articulating that. Okay, so we're going to stop here. By the way, Jane, wonderful clock. What, does everybody see the new clock we have? Huh? Well, that one, we, you know, I think we have to leave it in that corner just to sort of check on its uh, integrity. But the one that really is awesome is that one up there. So, so thank you for that. And uh, uh, we are so happy, I in particular, that I don't have to be late to church. But uh, all right, so let's close our prayer, and then we'll pick it up next week in, uh, in uh, chapter 7 with verse 19, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of your word. Thank you for the foundation that it provides for us in life. It, it gives to us the assurance of our salvation, of our forgiveness, of the certainty of what happens when we trust in your son, Jesus. It also gives us a security of life. There's so many people today that are, that are looking for a security in life, not just in, in the life to come, but also in, in something that they can put their hope and trust in in this life. They're looking for it, Lord, but they're looking for it in all the different places instead of finding it in your word. So we pray, dear Lord, that we can be preachers and teachers of your word, that we can be people that live your word, and that as we live it, the hope grows in us, and others will see that, and others will wonder where that comes from and engage in conversation about that. Watch over us this week, dear Lord. Be with us until we're together again. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room. Here at Messiah Lutheran Church, our mission statement is sharing his light. That means sharing the light that is Jesus Christ and telling others about his gospel. If you want to join us in that mission, please share this podcast with someone that may want to come and better know the light of Jesus. Use one of our past episodes as a starting point to start a discussion with someone, or use a past series as a personal Bible study or devotional for your family or small group. If we've given any value to you at all, consider leaving this podcast a rating and review on iTunes. That will help us climb the iTunes rankings so we may better spread the reassuring good news of Jesus Christ and continue to share his light with anyone willing to listen. Thank you again so much for listening, and until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.